You know, I was thinking this week that I personally have never seen anyone who bought a house have never moved into it. I personally have not seen anyone who planned to settle in another country and never bothered to find a thing about it. I have never seen anyone who made a major investment and never checked out on their investment to see how it's doing. I've never met such a person. I have never known anyone who they go to travel by train, and then when they got onto the railway station, they said, this looks good, and then they camped there and lived in the railway station and never take the train. I've never seen such a person, have you? And yet, any and all of these scenarios that I've just described to you seem to be the attitude of so many Christians and so many churchgoers regarding heaven. They seldom think about it. In fact, they would just as soon pretend that it's never going to come. They as soon pretend that they're going to live this life forever and nothing is going to happen to them. They seldom make plans for heaven. They seldom try to find out what heaven is like. Most of their time, most of their energy, most of their money is spent planning this life's future. I promise you there are some people who spend more time looking and studying a place that they're going to for a vacation than they would do for a place that are going to live there forever. Even many of those who recite the Lord's Prayer and say, Our Father who is in heaven, never stop to ask, what is heaven like? (laughs) Where is heaven? And if we say that God is in heaven, if we say that we are heading there by the assurance of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary and by faith that what he did on Calvary was on our behalf and that our sins are forgiven and that our home is heaven. If we believe that with all of our hearts, then why don't we take some time during the day and focus on heaven? I'm not suggesting as some time ago, there was the, the slogan going around, well, he is so heavenly minded, as if he's of no earthly good. I'm not suggesting that you become obsessed with heaven, that you become ineffective in life. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about letting it occupy at least some time during the day. And that is why the Lord Jesus taught the disciples and said, when you pray, say, our Father who's in heaven. Many times we probably think of heaven when our loved ones go and we think a little bit about that. And then within a matter of minutes, we get back into our life and our busyness and all the problems that are facing us and we forget all about it. In fact, I know some parents try to comfort their children when a pet dies and said, well, you know, the pet is in heaven now. I've got to give you some news, you pet lovers. (laughs) Pets don't have souls. They don't go to heaven. So relax now, okay? You're not going to see them again. <laughs> Only people go to heaven. In fact, I heard about the smart little girl. Her cat died, and, and her mother was trying to give her that kind of standard answer. Oh, but Toby is in heaven now. And the little girl looked at her mother and said, Mom, what would God do with a dead cat? <laughs> <laughs> I read about a Sunday school teacher who was talking to a nine-year-old kids and actually said, he said, um, 
you know, if God is everywhere, how come we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven? The little girl said, Silly, heaven is only just his headquarters. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, there's some wisdom there. And that is absolutely truth, too. For the word heaven itself is derived from the Anglo Saxon word heave on, which means lifted up or be uplifted. In the Word of God, in the Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see the word heaven is used to describe three different realms. It is used to describe the realm, the atmospheric realm. For example, in Isaiah 55, the Bible says that rain comes from heaven. So they see the atmospheric realm as heaven. Then the second realm, the heavenly realm that the Bible talks about, is when it describes the space, it describes the stars, and describes the sun and the moon. It is used to describe the unending realm of stellar constellation. In fact, Psalm 19 tells us the heavens, when the psalm says the heavens, talking about the space, talking about the stars, says the heavens declare the glory of God. But the third heaven refers to where God is reigning supreme. It is the realm, it's a definite place. In fact, the Greek word topos in the New Testament means it's a location. It is a place. It's not just a state of mind. It is not a pie in the sky somewhere. The Bible is very clear about that. It is a heavenly country. It is the new Jerusalem. It is the place that God has prepared and is preparing for all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those who have put their trust in Him. They have a place in heaven prepared for them. Paul tells us about that heaven that he was privileged to be taken up there and see a glimpse of it. He said he can't even describe it. John tells us all about heaven in the book of Revelation. So where is God, our Father? He is everywhere. He is in control of all these three atmospheres. He is in control of all these three realms, the atmospheric realm, the star, the realm of the galaxies, and the heavenly country. He has the power, and through His power, He is sustaining all of those three realms. Yet incredible and vast and transcendent as God is, and yet He lives in a believer's heart. Now listen, don't try to explain that to somebody whose spiritual eyes are closed. They will not understand it. It is too beyond, even it's beyond the believer's comprehension. Imagine somebody whose spiritual eyes are still closed. Incredible. Our Father is very much in heaven. And yet He walks with us and He talks with us. Every single moment of every day. Our Father, He is in the outer heavenly place, and yet He also comforts us. He blesses us, and He speaks a word of peace to a troubled heart. Our Father is holding together the engine that orchestrates the vast galaxies as it keeps going around, and He keeps them from spinning out of control. And yet, He's closer to us than our hands and feet. What a precious heavenly father he is to his children. The Bible tells us a few things about heaven. And I often wondered why the Bible didn't tell us more. He gives us a glimpse of it. He just gives us a foretaste of it. And the Bible gives us that little bit, just enough to make us long for that place. 
gives us enough to be able, like the Apostle Paul, can't wait to get there. In fact, the Apostle Paul's attitude toward heaven, he said, I am absolutely pressed. He was literally, in what we use in common language today, he said he was torn inside. Not in the negative sense, but in the positive sense. He said in the Philippians 1, 23 and 24, he said, I am hard pressed between the two. I feel pressed. I feel pressure from both ends. On the one hand, I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Jesus, which is far better for me. On the other hand, I see the need. I see the ministry. I see the preaching of the gospel. I want to stay here. Do you know what? I believe with all of my heart that this ought to be the cry of every believer. It ought to be the cry of every person who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the Apostle Paul. Listen, if you feel that you're having a very good time right here, there's something wrong about your salvation. If you never long for heaven, there's something wrong about your walk with the Lord. Because Jesus is not wasting a single word in this pattern of prayer that he gave to his disciples. This disciples' prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is telling them here, When you pray, say, our Father who is in heaven. He wants the disciples and he wants us to focus where God is, where we're going. What is Jesus saying is this, that heaven is the home of our heavenly daddy. It is his native environment. Heaven is his natural abode. He is saying that heaven is his home, which he wants to share with all of those who love his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Heaven is heaven because our heavenly daddy is there. Heaven is heaven because his government is supreme there. There are no devil, no flesh, no world to fight us there. I'm going to see that in a minute. This week as I was reflecting upon heaven, I just could not help. And I hope you can imagine. Just use your your imagination with me just for a little bit, okay? All of those people who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as their only Savior and Lord. All of those people who live their lives and have really nothing to do with God. And they still think that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. Think of how absurd that is. Think of how miserable they're going to be. If they have nothing to do with God here, how are they going to be happy to be where God rules supreme? Dominates completely. They refuse to have anything to do with him here on earth. And yet they think that they're going to be there where his full abode is. Heaven will be a miserable place for such people. Heaven would be like hell for those who want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ right here. Why? Because his presence will fill the place. Will fill the place. George Gallup conducted a poll showing that 78% of Americans expected to go to heaven when they die. 78%. The poll goes on to conclude that many of them, when they were asked, they said they never pray, they never read the Bible, they never go to church. In fact, they admitted that their number one concern is to please themselves instead of God. And they think that they're going to heaven. Now, somebody asked me, what would happen when we get to heaven and there we realize that some of our loved ones are not there? What will happen? 
I said, I can only tell you what I understand from the Word of God. Number one, I believe with all my heart that if you have a family member who's not a believer, it is God's will, it is God's desire for them to come to Him. Don't ever give up praying for them. God is a covenant-making God, and He makes covenant with families. And if God brings one person to the kingdom of God... From that family, God has a desire for the whole family to come to the kingdom. Don't ever give up praying for your unsaved father or mother, brother or sister, son or daughter. Don't ever give up on that. But here's the answer I gave about that. When we get to heaven, we're not going to have the same emotions. We're not going to have these emotions that we have here and judge everything by our emotions. We're going to be like Jesus after the resurrection. We're going to be seeing things from God's point of view. We're going to understand justice perfectly. We're going to understand mercy perfectly. We're going to understand grace perfectly. And because of that, it's not that we're going to be there in sorrow because we're going to see in a minute there's no sorrow in heaven because we will see things from God's perspective. I thought about how people who really refuse to believe as Jesus, the only Savior, and yet they still want to go to heaven. And I thought of a fable that I have read some time ago about a conversation between a crane and a swan. A beautiful swan alighted by the banks of the water in which a crane was wading about in the slimy sides looking for snails. A few moments, the crane was viewing the beautiful swan and kind of going around in a stupid wonder. And, and then he inquired. He said to the swan, he said, where did you come from? I came from heaven, said the swan. Where is heaven, said the crane. Heaven? You don't know what heaven is? Heaven is a beautiful place. And the bird, this beautiful bird began to explain to the crane the streets of gold and the gates and the walls that made of precious stone and the river of life, pure as crystal, upon whose bank is the tree whose leaves shall be for the healing of the nations. And with such eloquence, the swan began to describe the hosts who live in the other world. And, but without even arousing a single interest or the slightest concern on the part of the crane. Finally, the crane looked at the swan and he asked, are there snails in heaven? And the swan kind of was offended. She said, snail? Snail in heaven? No, of course there are no snails in heaven. Then said the crane, as he continued to search along the slimy banks of the pool, you can have your heaven. I want snails. You can have your heaven. I want snails. The fact is that there are deep truths in this fable. There's so many people out there who think they're going to heaven, but all they're really concerned about is snails. And you and I have the responsibility to tell them the truth. But I do want to get to my message. <laughs> I'm going to get to it. In fact, I'm going to tell you 12 things about heaven. Write them down so you remember them. The first thing I want to tell you about heaven is this. That in heaven we're going to be freed from Satan's assaults. <laughs> we're going to be free from temptation. We're going to be free from his deception. We're going to be free from his fiery darts. We're going to be free from him dividing us from each other. 
And that is why Jesus said, when you pray, pray, our Father who is in heaven, in that place where Satan cannot approach. The second thing is this. In heaven, there is no separation. You know, we live in a world when parting of the ways wrenches our hearts and and strains our emotions. But in heaven, this is not a problem. Because we are finally home. And when we are finally home, we'll be in perfect contentment. All of our restlessness, all of our discouragements, all of our fretting will find rest. Why? Because that is the abode of our daddy who's in heaven. And the third thing about heaven is this. There are no tears or anguish. In heaven, there are no frustration. There are no despair. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Problem of Pain. He said, life carries with it more pain than pleasure for many of God's children. And then he goes on to say, the most bitter tears are those shed inwardly or alone when no one else sees the agony of our spirit. But oh, what a delightful place the abode of our heavenly daddy is. Because there are no tears in heaven. And the fourth thing the Bible tells us about heaven is this, that it is a place where there is no more death. Because of the presence of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, who has defeated death once and for all, because of his very presence there, death cannot exist in heaven. For the believers, bodily death is our doorway to our home in heaven. You know, I have met many people, even people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're really afraid of death. They really are terrified by death. I want to tell you it's of the devil. Because in reality is, death is merely the escalator that is going to take you home into the very presence of your heavenly daddy. And we ought to be looking forward to it instead of being afraid of it. But when we get there, there is no more death. Or separation. And that is why Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, say, Our Father, who is in that abode in heaven. The fifth thing the Bible said about heaven is this. No sorrow or remorse in heaven. You know, in this life, because of our spiritual sensitivity, we find ourselves regretful and and remorseful. Over speaking unkind words and over harboring selfish motives and over entertaining the wrong attitudes, and, but not in heaven. We will be free from guilt and sorrow over sin. That is why Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who is in heaven. The sixth thing John tells us about heaven is this, that is no crying in heaven. I began to think, what does he really mean by crying? And I'm convinced that crying here is talking about crying in terms of soul searching. Crying in terms of crying out to God. Crying in terms of agonizing in prayer. Crying in terms of puzzlement over events in our lives that we don't understand. All of this will be gone in heaven. For in heaven, all of our questions will be answered. All of our longing will find rest. It is the dwelling place of our heavenly father. 
The seventh thing about heaven, the Bible says, is that there are going to be no more painful memories, no nightmares, no flashbacks, no baggage, oh, no broken hearts. In heaven, there's a total release. And that is why Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father, who is in heaven. The eighth thing about heaven is this. There will be no temple, no church building, no sanctuary. Now, here on earth, we have to do that. We are commanded to do that. Why? In order to constantly remind ourselves of the majesty of God and the splendor of God. The world all week long is trying to press us to remember the splendor of the world and the majesty of Satan. But we are supposed to come together at least one day a week, if not every day of the week, to enter into a haven that God sets up for us in order to come into His very presence to remember how magnificent He is, how great He is, how majestic He is. Here on earth, we have to be instructed and taught the Word of God in a church building so that we can go out and stand firm and declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But in heaven, we won't need that because Jesus is there. And no sin, no Satan, no temptation, no world to have victory over. The ninth thing, the Bible tells us that there will be no sun or moon in heaven. Why? Because in heaven, we will be set free from the ties of this terrestrial sphere. Time will be no more. I can't wait for that. (laughs) We will no longer be limited by time. We will no longer be limited by space, which seem to dominate our lives right here on earth. We are trained to think in terms of day and night, summer and winter, and the seasons, and the days, and the months, and the years. We are enslaved to the clock. We are forever meeting deadlines. We are forever running for appointments. We are forever dominated by schedules and plans and programs. We are forever mastered by the calendar. But all... In heaven, there will be no sense of urgency. In heaven, there will be no master calendar, thank God. In heaven, there will be no tyranny of time. There will be unhurried life. For we will be praising God and singing His praises constantly and forever. And the tenth thing about heaven is this, that there will be no night in heaven. What does the Bible mean by night? The darkness of misunderstandings will banish. The darkness of anger, the darkness of hurt, they'll all banish in heaven. Do you know that about 80% of all of our problems, 80% of all of our problems are caused by misunderstandings which cloud our relationships? Most of us don't understand each other. Most of us don't understand sometimes the way God works. And I dare to say, all of us don't understand our own complex self. But not so in heaven. In heaven, the darkness of misunderstanding will be eliminated. For we shall know him as he is. And we shall know as we are known. 
in heaven, all the fears and all the doubts and all the misunderstandings, all the misjudgments and all the animosities that create darkness in our lives and in our relationships will vanish. That is why Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, say, our Father who is in heaven. And the eleventh thing is this. John tells us that in heaven there is no defilement. And obviously, there is for me at least, and I know most of you, there is a very special reason for rejoicing over this. Defilement right now in our society coming from the highest places in the land. If you have any spiritual sensitivity left, you ought to weep over this nation. We ought to weep over the high percentage of people who don't want to call sin, sin anymore. We ought to cry out to God. It's not so much... The sin itself, I want to tell you, that in itself is miserable. But there's so many call preachers running around and trying to wink at sin. That ought to break the heart of a believer. On earth, everywhere you turn, you find contaminants. Contaminants that try to contaminate our thoughts, try to contaminate our attitudes, that try to contaminate our morals, trying to contaminate our convictions, trying to contaminate our minds. And all of these contaminants seem to conspire together to weaken our will, to love God with all of our hearts, to weaken our will, to obey Him with all of our strength. But in heaven, all these defilements will be no more. In heaven, the influences of these defilements will no longer there. Why? Because our Father, the pure, holy God, the righteous God, dwells there. That is his abode. He is in heaven. What a glorious place. Let me ask you this. Are you going there? Will you know by certainty that if the Lord calls you home this afternoon, you'll be in the presence of God in heaven? I want to tell you, you cannot get there unless Jesus is your Savior. Unless you committed your life to Him. Unless you've accepted Him as the Lord of your life. Finally, I want to tell you, sin will not be there. (laughs) That's my twelfth point. Sin will not be there. Just as we will be free from the pull of gravity... (laughs) We're going to be free from the pull of sin in our lives. Our Father, who is in heaven. Here on earth, you know, our efforts, our best efforts, our best endeavors, our loftiest achievements, they can leave us empty and disappointed, disenchanted. Even the moments when we experience those few moments of mountaintop experience, They're always followed by a very long time in the valley. Everywhere you look in the world, you find injustice, unfairness, scheming, manipulation. Oh, but not so in heaven. Not so in heaven. Millions of people throughout the world live their lives in quiet desperation. A life that seems to be one of a continuous, tedious bore. And inwardly they feel that their life is empty and meaningless. But not for the believer. And certainly not in heaven. Because we will be busy in heaven. Reigning and ruling with him forever. Heaven is our father's natural habitat. 
But you know what? Here's really the good news of the gospel. It is the good news of the gospel. It is simple for those who put their trust in Jesus. It's complicated for those who didn't or haven't. The good news of the gospel is this, that when Jesus comes into your life, he comes in and he brings a foretaste of heaven. He literally can turn this life into a deposit on what heaven is going to be like. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 17, he said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And we live in that tension, knowing that the kingdom of God is here in our lives, in our hearts. But it is yet to come in its fullest glory. And that is why only those who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them will be able to be permanent dwellers in the abode of God in heaven. Let me ask you this. How much preparation have you made for heaven? Young or old, doesn't matter. How much preparation have you made for your eternal home? There was a farmer who invited his new country preacher to his farm. And he took him and they really stood right in the middle of the farm. And he said to him, he said, preacher, look over there. As far as your eye can see, I own that. Then they turned around to this side and he said, preacher, look at this side. Just as far as your eye can see. I own that too. Then he turned to the right and he said, you know, look this side. As far as your eye can see, I own that. Then they turned around to the other side. He said, now look over this side. As far as your eye can see, I own that too. The young preacher was stuck there and mumbled something. And then he looked him in the eye and he said, let me ask you this. As he pointed up heavenward. And as he looked up heavenward, he said, how much of that direction do you own? You say, you mean I can own things in heaven? You better believe it. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He said that you can actually send up foundations, laying up foundations, so you can take hold of what is real life, because this life is not really real. It's a mirage. James said it's like a viper. appears for a little while and disappears. I have news for you. Only what you send up to heaven is going to meet you on the other side. Everything else either is going to get squandered or is going to burn in the day of judgment. Peter said even the elements are going to burn. Everything is going to be burned. It's only what you send unto heaven will be awaiting you. How much do you own? In that direction, shall we pray? There's not a single one among us, and I'm ahead of you, who does not experience on a daily basis the incredible pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's not one among us who's not tempted every single day to make more plans for the short life and fail to make plans for the eternal life. We don't have to struggle with that anymore. But again and again in the book of Revelation, in all seven churches, Jesus said, whatever rewards are in heaven are for those who are really going to be faithful. Those who stand firm. Those who refuse to compromise. Those who refuse to be taken in by the devil and the world and the flesh. Those who refuse to keep up with others. But those who love God with all their hearts. Let this be a moment as we reflect 
in this wonderful prayer the Lord Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who is in heaven, that be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.